Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Good morning. That was my fault. I said that while my back was turned. Good morning, Jacobswell. Good morning. Isn't that just like the thing that every pastor does? You know he's going to say good morning. You know, you know you're going to say it quietly the first time. So you know he's going to say it again. So you're like, then you're like, okay, we'll do it again. It's just part of the, part of the rote, I guess. But uh, I'm glad we can continue that tradition with each other. <laughs> uh, my name is David Gallagher. I am the, uh, I'm one of the associate pastors here at Jacobswell Church. Um, it's been two months since I've preached. It's good to be back in the pulpit and uh, to uh, bring you God's word. So we, we are in Mark chapter 3. If I can find it. I can find it. Well, I, yeah, I should find it. I'm doing it all week, right? We're in Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 20. And it is on page, in your red Bibles, 838. There it is. It is on page 838 in the red Bibles. Um, and if you don't have a Bible... You will need one. I reference it often, and they can be found uh, in, the, uh, in the back. So as you turn there, um, just a few tidbits on the text. In general, in Scripture, biblical authors, when they were guided by God, it's not like they all of a sudden put literary convention to the side when they started writing the Bible, right? In the Psalms, there's poetry, there's, and there's um, standard conventions, line A, B, A, B, A, B, B, A. There's uh, right, uh, different things like that. And in story, they also follow similar conventions. It's the start of the story, the rising action, the tension, the climax, conclusion of the story, resolution, stuff like that. So uh, our passage today follows very clear and discernible patterns within that. So I'd encourage you, if you... Uh, be looking for it as we read through um, the passage. So this is Mark 3, verses 7 through 20. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed them from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them to not make him known. Then he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name 
Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for this text. We ask, thy Lord, that we humble our hearts, that it might speak to us, Lord, that we might allow it to, uh, Lord, show us our need for you. Lord, also to show us uh, not just our need, but Lord, your satisfaction of those needs and of that need. We ask and pray this in your name. Amen. So people in need and in desperation can often make rash decisions. Uh, in high school, I was in need of love and value from a good and perfect God. Uh, but clouded in judgment by my need and not willing to trust God to provide this need, I turned always to wanting a girlfriend to feel loved and valued. In pursuit of relationships, I was blind to not only what could fix my problem, but I was also blind to what even the problem was. And so it was rare that I actually didn't have a girlfriend. So to this day, and I say this to my shame, well, I'm not sure if it's something to be ashamed of. It's just a consequence of something. But to this day, I have yet to be a groomsman for a wedding besides my brother's. Because I was, rather than building relationships with other guys, I was so focused on building relationships with other, with my, with my girlfriends or my significant other because I thought that is where I would find value and love most. The crowds in our passage were so desperate for healing from Jesus that they started to endanger the very source of their healing. Their need brought about rash decisions. So I was desperate for love in high school, and I rashly thought I could find it more in a girlfriend than in a perfect and loving God. Now imagine how clouded your judgment might be if your problem was maybe a small bit more urgent than high schooler David's need for attention. Your five-year-old child's ankles started to swell and you don't know what's going on, but you just saw them crawl from their bedroom to the bathroom because they can't walk. How many hospitals might you be calling? And in your phone calls, love, joy, and peace may have taken a backseat. Just like making that complete stop at the stop sign may have taken a backseat as you're driving away from the meeting where you heard that bad news. Whether it was news like you've lost thousands of dollars for your organization or Someone's quitting or you lost your job. Maybe you feel the pressure to discipline your child well and in your need to do so, your anger clouds your judgments and you use a heavy hand instead when a, a, maybe a soft hand or kindness will bring about the repentance that is needed. Deciding to switch your major in college is not wisest, it's probably not the best idea one day after you break up with your girlfriend or boyfriend, Right? Being in, in need in a desperate situation is not the time to, it doesn't give us clarity. Jesus in our passage is addressing the deepest and most desperate needs possible. 
but it was under fire. It was under attack by clouded judgment stirred by desperate needs. So like then, the ministry of Jesus today is challenged by desperate need. But even in the face of these challenges, we must carry out the ministry of Christ because Jesus chooses disciples. We must carry out the ministry of Christ in the face of those desperate needs and challenges because Jesus chooses disciples. So let's, let's track the story a small bit here. I'm going to take you back to your middle school lit class. Well, I already have, but we're going to, we're going to do it even, even more pointedly. Notice the bookends, class. Notice the bookends. We have the beginning and ending. Sorry. Verse 7 begins with the crowds. Verse 20 ends with the crowds. So we have clear markers. Then see the rising action. The tension begins. Crowds are coming from all over. We have almost six or seven areas listed. And it's starting to create problems. Jesus even has to prepare a boat to stand on and to preach to the crowds from there because he's in danger of being crushed. The Greek term used here means to violently trample. So demons are throwing themselves at him, declaring him the son of God, which is not part of Jesus' ministry right now. These are problems. The rising action has begun. The tension introduces itself. And finally, the reader is drawn in towards the climax as we actually see Jesus go up onto a mountain. So the geography is even playing a role as we're going higher, as the action in the story is going higher. And now we're here. We're at the top of the mountain. What is the big solution to the problem in the story? The disciples. This is God's divine provision to address and fix the problem in this story? Yes. Yes, it is. What were the problems again in this story? We see the crowds full of desperate need to hear the preaching of the kingdom. We see a need for healing. And we see a need for demons to be cast out. And the text tells us this is actually why the disciples were chosen. These very three reasons. Verse 14 says to preach the gospel. Verse 15 says to cast out demons. And Matthew chapter 10 verse 1 is a parallel account. And it also adds to heal every disease and every affliction. So the disciples were God's divine provision to carry out the needs of the kingdom and to address the particular problems in this passage. So we sadly don't have time to unpack the background of each of these disciples, but as a brief refresh and reminder, these are the guys who bickered to be Jesus' favorite. These are the guys who abandoned Jesus in one of his most difficult and trying moments, facing his death, a torturous death. There's Peter the optimist, Thomas the pessimist, Simon the zealot who wanted to overthrow the Roman government. There's Matthew who had been actively serving the Roman government. James and John wanted to call down fire from heaven to level a town. And there's Judas who would betray him. And this was Jesus' plan A. Being God, whatever possible alternative he could have done, he chose this. To appoint disciples from the crowd. I can't help but think of the old, old movie. Well, I, I think it's old, old. Maybe you may not think it's old, old. Angels in the Outfield. Where there is a team that would never, never, except by literal divine intervention, be a winning team. It's like God choosing that team without any of the angels. There's no winning chance. But this being Jesus' plan A, does one of two things. 
it either makes him look very foolish and like a failure or makes him look like an incredible leader who can only be God. Many of us know the outcome. They went on, these disciples went on to establish the church, these messy disciples. To quote a commentator, William Hendrickson, he says, what points to the greatness of Jesus is that he took such men as these and welded them into an amazingly influential community that proved to be not only a worthy link with Israel's past, but also a solid foundation for the church's future. The quote continues, but know this, that from this and from all of this, that Jesus receives the glory in all of this as he takes disciples in great need. And the ministry of Christ, the ministry of Jesus will be challenged, but it will never be thwarted. And the disciples were God's divine provision to carry out the work of the kingdom. Plan A. So it's a plot twist in a story that we may not have seen coming. One of my favorite unexpected uh, solutions to a problem is from the movie Inside Out. So in the movie, there are five emotions in the brain of Riley. Riley's the main character. There's joy, sadness, disgust, anger, fear. Riley's world is rocked when they move from their house in Minnesota to California, and her emotions are rocked too. Joy and sadness get kicked out of headquarters, so to speak, of her brain. Sadness is lost, yes, but the fact that joy was removed from Riley's life is the crazy part. Because joy was essentially who Riley was up to this point. And the story crafts this really well in the movie. One of the first lines in the film is literally her dad saying at birth, Oh, look at you. Aren't you a little bundle of joy? All of her core memories are ones given by joy. The whole film is filled with lines like these. Her mom after the move, all this confusion, you've stayed well, you've stayed our happy girl. Sadness after they are kicked out of the, uh, the headquarters says, you're not in headquarters. Without you, Riley can't be happy. We got to get you back up there. Her dad, after they have a fight, says, where's my happy girl? Joy and sadness eventually get, finally get to headquarters. Riley's life is literally about to fall off the rails. One of the emotions says, Joy, you've got to fix this. Get up there. And Joy puts in charge the last person who would have been the solution to a life historically known only for joy. And it's now numbed with no emotion. And the one that is put in charge is sadness. Sadness was the provided solution that enabled Riley to feel again and to begin to heal from the challenge she faced. Sadness was the hero few would have ever chosen. And similarly, the disciples were a divine solution to a problem and none would have ever or should have ever chosen them. If you are a Christian, you are God's divine provision to carry forth the ministry of Jesus. As of right now, you are God's continuing plan A. I'm going to tell you, you are not to be like the, cl- the crowds. You're not. You're not to be like the disciples. Or, excuse me, you are to be like the disciples. You're not to be clouded under your judgment. You're called to be discerning. You're not to be stuck in desperation. You're called to be made new. 
The world is in desperate need today. And you, disciples, are the hands and feet. The clearest form of this, and one of the ways we can most clearly do this from the text, is to, as the disciples did, preach the word. It begins with yourself. I'm not simply saying you should read your Bible. If you're a disciple of Christ at this point, you would already know that. Rather, you should preach the word to yourself. How often do you let the truths of God actually convict you, draw you to repentance? How often do you let the truths of God actually refresh you, make you feel renewed knowing that your, 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 your identity is safe and secure before God? It also includes your families, though. How are you doing as a spiritual leader? Are you waiting? Are you making plans, but you haven't actually begun to act on them? How are you doing as a godly wife or mother, as a loving sibling? Be a disciple. Let's start doing. This is a call that is required of us. What needs do your loved ones have that make them clouded in judgment? How can the truths of God enter in and begin to heal and shed light? For example, in your life or in the life of a loved one, they may be watching too much TV, playing too many games, on social media too much, or staying out longer from home. But are these their solutions to a bigger problem that needs to be spoken into and you're the one who's called to bring those truths and shed light on that? Love them in those places. It includes your neighbors. Some of your neighbors ready to be hear the gospel. It's so easy to say, yeah, I preach the gospel. I, well, I plan on it a lot. It's time, proclaim it. However, some of your neighbors may not be ready to hear the gospel. And while you're not able to cast out demons or heal a deformed bone like the disciples, you are equipped to love them in the midst of these struggles. Church, this is the calling of a disciple of God. And it should overwhelm us. It's a daunting call. It should stun us to realize that this is the expectation, actually. The ministry of Christ carries on through his appointed disciples, the church. But thank goodness, the passage also tells us how we are to do this. How we can begin to do such a daunting task. Let's read again. Verses 13 through 19 in our text to know how Jesus appoints disciples. And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. He might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew, and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. First notice, and I've mentioned it earlier, that they actually go up onto a mountain. And so often in Scripture, this is an important marker, right? Uh, we know that Jesus went up onto a mountain for the transfiguration. We see he went up onto the mountain here for the calling of disciples. We often went up onto the Mount of Olives, uh, for example, right before his triumphal entry. When you go up onto a mountain, something's about to happen. But the most significant reference to which this is pointing back to 
is Mount Sinai. When God chose Israel, Moses went up onto the mountain, right? So in this instance, it is significant because it not only points to a rejection of the scribes and Pharisees as being the current leaders of Israel, it is establishing the disciples as the new leaders of Israel. This is a whole new calling for them. And secondly, notice the language used here. Not only does Jesus call these disciples to a new calling, he names them apostles. The word for name in our text comes from the Greek word anima. And we actually hear this word all the time. Anonima is anonima, anonymous means no name. So we see here that Jesus is not only giving them a new calling by establishing them as leaders over Israel, he is giving them a new name and a new identity entirely. This is so literal that he even does this on a personal level with Simon by renaming him Peter and James and John by calling them sons of thunder. See, up until this point, they were like the crowds, lost in their needs, searching for solutions and healing and answers. But now Christ has called them. He's appointed them to a new calling. He's given them new names. Jesus' solution isn't just to have them follow him. It's to make them entirely new. There's a book that illustrates this well, uh, this, this before and after in the lives of the disciples well. Uh, it's called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I just so happen to have the board book, board book version of it with me today. Um, so I'm, uh, it's also going to be on the slides. But to save on time, I'm going to start a few pages in. Uh. All right, so we're going to start. Lucy had already gone back in, and now we're, we're, she's going back. In. She goes back to tell the siblings, hey, I went into this wardrobe. Lucy goes back home to tell the others. Edmund sneaks into the wardrobe. He finds the witch who gives him candy. And he says he will help her keep it, win help her keep it winter forever. When all four children go to Narnia, they meet Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. They learn about the great lion Aslan. He can break the witch's spell. They want to go help Aslan, except for Edmund. He doesn't care about Narnia. He just wants more candy. On the way to Aslan, Peter, Susan, and Lucy meet Father Christmas. He gives them presents, but they miss Edmund. In her castle, the witch is angry at Edmund. He has not helped her. Because outside, the snow is melting. Spring is coming. Peter, Susan, Lucy find Aslan. He is a lion, greater than all lions, big and bright like the sun, and he makes you feel safe. Aslan tells them they will be kings and queens and free Narnia. But the witch says Edmund belongs to her because he is selfish. To save Edmund, Aslan takes his place. The witch takes Aslan away. Everyone thinks the lion is gone forever. But the next morning, Lucy and Susan find Aslan alive and strong. Aslan uses his magic. Spring comes back and Narnia is free. Aslan has won. Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy become kings and queens. Everyone in Narnia is happy. There's a few more pages, but 
I end it there. In our story, I was trying to track a bit more closely with Edmund, if you couldn't tell. Because Edmund is so similar. It's the story of the disciples being in such great need. So much so that he was turning to the enemy. But Aslan's act of sacrifice not only saved Edmund, it enabled him, it freed him so much that it enabled him to be a king over the, na- over the world in which that, sorry, na- world nation that he had formerly been helping serve to keep under the oppression of winter. It gave him a new identity and a new calling. The crowds were so lost, they risked crushing their healer. But Jesus has now taken his disciples, given them a new calling, given them new, given them new names from the crowd. I told you earlier that Jesus has called you to do, be a disciple, to not be like the crowds, to not be blinded in your need and desperation, to preach the gospel, to love the hurting, to serve and love the lost. And it should have sounded, it should have sounded alarming. It should have sounded deflatingly impossible because it is. But church, in Christ, it is possible to see this work done. It is. For those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Your old self, who is blind in need and a desperate state, has been done away with. And one who has been made new is your true self. It's an honest question for you. Which do you believe is really your true self? The old self who turns to sin or the new self who is truly remade and been reborn. That is your true self. We may fall back and turn back into those old ways. Church, the text is calling you to do things in your flesh that you cannot do at all, but the spirit of the risen Christ in you empowers you to do it. You may believe a few lies here that I want to push against. You may believe that, yes, God has saved you, but he won't really use you. You're not useful enough. It's a lie. You are. You may believe that God uses you, but begrudgingly. This too is a lie. You were his first choice for the work that you are doing in the kingdom and for the places that he's put you to do that work. It's amazing, isn't it? That Jesus has not only done away with all sin and wrongdoing in our life, that there's now no judgment, but he's done this so fully and so completely that you are not only forgiven, but you're now enabled to do more than that. You're now doing and carrying out his work. For those those of you who are relying on yourself to do this, it will remain an impossibility. For those of you who are running from God, you'll find yourself facing failure time, time again, with no true solutions. Please become a disciple of Christ. Return to him. The calling and name you receive is far greater than any other treasure you might think you've found. For those of you who are called to be disciples of God, do not be discouraged. I mean that sincerely, because it's easy to get discouraged sometimes as we pursue this, isn't it? But the reality is, is that we will not get this overnight. This passage ends, I think, on an encouraging note, a realistic note. Verse 20 says what? 
Then Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again, so they could not even eat. But wait, didn't Jesus just choose these guys to help deal with this issue? But now we're at the end of the passage, and nothing has changed. The crowds are still there, and they can't even eat. You see, the apostles didn't even get it overnight. How in the world could we expect that we would? You can bet that living the life of a disciple will take exactly that much time, a lifetime. But praise God that he's merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love while we pursue it. While we pursue a reality that is already true in us. And praise God, he died in our place to give us his righteousness, a new calling and a new name. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we... Lord, ask humbly that you would... Lord, let this be a reality that that is true in our lives, that we hold fast. And that in the week ahead, Lord, we live out of our true selves. A disciple who has been made new. May we not be discouraged, Lord, by our old self. But Lord, may we turn to you, continuing to put to death that which has already been put to death, a body of sin, that we might now live in the body of life, Lord. And in doing so, Lord, we might love and serve the community around us, that we might preach your word to ourselves, to our loved ones, to our community. Equip us, Lord, for we are vastly insufficient on our own. Thank you, Lord that it is true that you've done so. Amen.